0: This weekend, and especially tomorrow, we're celebrating what's often referred to as Independence Day. 246 years ago. Can you believe that? I mean, it seems like just yesterday, 1976, when we were celebrating the 200-year celebration. Uh, Some of you don't remember that. I know James is smiling real big. Uh, Autumn wasn't even here. Uh, But 200 years ago, we were celebrating the 200th birth of our nation, now already 246 years. On July the 2nd, 1776, the Continental Congress actually voted in favor of independence, and two days later, on July 4th, the delegates from the 13 colonies, in fact, ratified and adopted the Declaration of Independence. And from 1776 to the present day, July 4th has been celebrated as the birth of American independence. But what does that really mean to each of us in terms of the big picture? What does it mean when as a part of our beliefs, we affirm that we are aliens? Our songs say this. I'm just a poor wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of woe. This world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through or passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. We affirm that we're no longer citizens of this world, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that truth is the only truth that's enabled to truly set us free. Now this morning, I'm introducing a new mini-series of sermons for the month of July on how we, as a church can be more intentional. How we can be free to be what Jesus has called us, what He has commissioned us to be. How we can fulfill that commission proclaimed just prior to His ascension. Let me set the stage a little bit. The disciples had been in Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified. The report came that the tomb was empty the resurrection had occurred. But, before Jesus ascended into heaven, He had those disciples go back to Galilee. That was a part of the instructions that He gave those who witnessed Him in His resurrection state. Tell the disciples to go back to Galilee. Well, what was in Galilee? That's where he had spent time, the most of the time, on a daily basis, teaching them what it meant to be a disciple. And also, in Galilee, where he commissioned them to make disciples. What we know as the Great Commission. In fact, there are few Christians who are not familiar with what we refer to as the Great Commission. Found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, which is really our text, the focus for today. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. In other words he's been enthroned as the king of his kingdom. When? Didn't Jesus say, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me? The crown. That's why James and John were told, you can't be on the right of me and the left of me when I enter my kingdom. Those places aren't designated for you. It actually was designated for two thieves when he was raised and enthroned. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God add His blessing to our reading of this Word. I hope this doesn't shock you, but the image that I have chosen for this morning's message is actually from Star Wars. And though he was not a clone himself, Jango Fett was a male bounty hunter who served as the template for the clone army. He was regarded as the best bounty hunter in the galaxy. He was recruited by a Sith Lord named Darth Tyranus to be cloned for the Grand Army of the Republic and the clones were created in hopes of defeating the Separatist droid army. Now, you might ask, okay, why in the world, Chelsea, did you choose this particular image? Well, let me help you. And I want to do it by defining the word Disciple. Actually, I like what Daryl Bach has defined being a disciple or discipleship as in a book he did called The Gospel Message in the Early Church. Daryl Bach writes, discipleship could be defined as becoming and being a flourishing follower of Jesus who embodies the character of Christ by engaging in a lifelong personal pursuit of holistic transformation and doing so within a like-minded community of faith that's corporately committed to being and making other disciples. Now let me unpack this for you. Discipleship, becoming and being a flourishing follower. In other words, there is no such thing as marginal Christianity. A flourishing follower of Jesus who embodies the character of Christ. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly, are we? Is there anybody that can live a perfect life on earth? No. That's why His definition says becoming and being. Constantly becoming more like Christ. A lifelong pursuit. In other words, it's not a program. I can't give you a tract that says this is what you do, A, B, C, D, on the following given days. It's not a program. It's a lifestyle. It's how we live every day. A pursuit of... Holistic transformation. In other words, we're all tra- changing, but are we changing for that which is good? Becoming more holy, more separated? And doing so within a like minded community of faith. What do you think that is? The church. Again, there is no such thing as a Christian out there in isolation in the woods worshiping God and being a Christian. Every time the word Christian is used in the Bible, it's in the plural. The Christians. You have to be a part of a body. That's what it means. Being a part of a corporate body of like-minded community of faith that is corporately committed to being and making other disciples. So, you see what it's saying? Basically, it encapsulates what Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth when he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And we also saw last study how Paul encouraged the Christians at Thessalonica to imitate us. And later stating that he gave himself as an example to imitate. In other words, be a clone, be a copy of, imitate that which is good. Be an imitator of someone like Paul who is imitating Christ. The emphasis, of course, is on on being a copy imitating that which is good, a good model, a good example. In terms of the Star Wars image that I chose, even in Star Wars, actually, in the first episode of the Clone Wars, seventh season, there is a commando squad known as Clone Force 99. They're introduced. And guess what? They were there to assist uh, the others, but that group became known as the bad batch. They weren't being imitators of the good. Something had gone wrong. And as disciple makers, we need to be helping people, assisting those that we encounter to be true followers, to be involved in the formation of new and therefore good Followers and disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I gave each of you, I had Rich pass out for each of you. Um, Are there more of them there, Rich? Because Jake and and Jordan came in back there. I had Rich pass out for you uh, a bigger one and a smaller one of what's known as the Disciple Maker's prayer. I became aware of this prayer several months ago when Jesse and I attended a small church conference over in Morton, Illinois. Here's what the prayer says. Heavenly Father, thank You for giving me a disciple-making way of life in Christ Jesus. In other words, not a program, not a ritual, not religious busy work, but a way of life. As I go through every part of this day, help me to love you and love the people who cross my path, starting with my family. You see where it starts? It begins with God, but it also starts with our families. Don't let me miss the adventures you're sending my way to live and speak the good news about Jesus Christ today the disciple-making friendships. By Your Word and Spirit, transform me into a follower of Jesus who loves You, loves people, and makes disciples. Disciples who make more disciples ad infinitum. You know what that means? Let me shift from Star Wars... To uh, yeah, both like <laughs> To infinity and beyond. That's what in ad infinitum means. In other words, our task of making discipleship, disciples, should start when we become a disciple and should never end. We shouldn't be sitting back saying well, that's what we got the preacher and elders for. Now, each one of us are to be disciple-makers. A lifestyle. A lifestyle that begins by establishing good priorities. But here's a part of the problem. Stated so well by a guy by the name of Robbie Gallaty in a book he wrote called Replicate. How to create a culture of disciple-making right where you are. He says, contrary... To what we see today in many churches where salvation is essential and discipleship is optional, the first century Christians took Jesus' commission seriously. In fact, he goes on to say it's worth noting five words in the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Only one of them is an imperative. The driving force of the commission is to make disciples. And I'm going to pick up on that today in terms of what I share with you. If you have your Bibles in front of you, look again at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20 that I wrote there, read there at the beginning. Jesus' commission involves only one imperative. And it's not go. The only word in the original Greek language, the only word that is an imperative, the only word that is a command is to make disciples. And how we do it is just as important as what we are doing. John Stott has pointed out that the Great Commission is the counterpart of the Great Commandment to love God and love others. Without a proper love for our neighbors... He goes on to say, our evangelism will be cold and hard. It'll alienate rather than attract. I knew just such a man. Very devout man. God loving, God fearing, serving man. But his method of trying to convert those who was lost was driving more people away than it was bringing them into the kingdom. And when I stopped and realized that and thought about it, I remembered something my grandpa used to say. Don't you love the grandpa grandpa wisdom that's out there? He said, Sonny, you catch more bees with honeys than you do vinegar. Think about it. How we do it is just as important as what we are doing. The apostles were not called, nor are we, to just elicit or evoke decisions like getting people to sign the back page of a track called the Roman Road. No, they're called to make disciples. And that's more demanding, more encompassing, a tougher assignment. Matthew has shown already and throughout his gospel how slow Jesus' disciples were to do and to be what he wanted them to, to do and be. And the apostles would not have an easier ride as they set out to continue Jesus' mission. There was going to be a lot of distress. A lot of, of actual blindness, failure, and misunderstanding, and opposition. But Jesus is not satisfied, according to His Word, with any hasty profession of faith. Not even any perfunctory, mechanical, or forced baptism. I got a call one day from a man. Hey, I want you to baptize my daughters. I said, I'd love to. Are they ready to be baptized? I'll be glad to sit down with them and talk to them about what it means. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, just being dunked in water isn't going to save them. There is meaning behind what we're doing. There is a reason behind what we do. And it involves accepting Jesus as the Lord of our lives 24 7, 365. But I'll be glad to meet with him whenever you want to. Let me know. Give me a call. He didn't call back. He doesn't want us just counting converts, we're to be making disciples. The Great Commission is directed outwards to the unreached. Unfortunately, the church has often degenerated into a comfortable club for the like-minded. We even sneer. We even make snide comments about others of other races, other skin colors, The church has always been called to be a discipling community. Many true followers of Jesus. People intent on becoming and being a flourishing follower of Jesus. That's what He wants. He wants people who want to be more like the character of Himself. Those who are pursuing Holistic transformation. thats I am so proud of Eric and the work he's doing. Just working with individuals in small groups and one-on-one saying, conversion is the beginning. Now here's where we need to be going to grow. We've noted that the only command in these verses is the command for us to be making disciples. So what about the other words? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're what's known as participles. And participles show action being done that is continuous. And the most common way to form a participle is by adding ing to the infinitive. So, to baptize becomes baptizing. To teach becomes teaching. And to go should have become as you are going. Let me give you an example. We have a swimming pool up and running now at camp. I could command the kids, go swim. But not all of the kids at the camp are going to be comfortable swimming. Not all are going to want to do that. There's other activities. Or I could command those who are going swimming as you're going swimming follow the rules I'm not commanding them to go swimming I'm just acknowledging the fact that they are going to be going swimming and when they do that the command is to follow the rules Jesus' commission recognizes that we're going to be going back into the world. The disciples weren't going to stay on that mount. They were going to be going back home. They were going to be going back getting about doing other things. And so what He says to them is, as you are going back, here's the command. Make disciples. And how are we going to do that? By baptizing them and so very important but so often forgotten to be teaching them. Teaching them what? To observe all. To obey all that I have commanded you. In other words, I can't take this book and say, nah, I don't like that page. (coughs) No, certainly not that one. That's old-fashioned. Who believes that stuff anymore? No. We can't do that. Jesus said, you teach them to observe all. All that I've commanded. And that's His commission to us. And I will not hesitate to say that baptism is an essential part of that process. It's identifying publicly your discipleship. In that day, when they got baptized out in the open, everybody knew not only what they were joining, but what they were giving up. In Asia Minor, they were giving up their citizenship. They were giving up their right to all of the helps the government could give them. It's participating in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Romans 6, verses 1-11. to Acts 2.38 What shall we do? The crowd asked Peter. What did he say? Repent and be baptized. Acts 10, Cornelius. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 16, verse 30. They said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And He was baptized. Baptism is included in every single conversion account in the book of Acts. Not once is it left out. And so I don't think we should be leaving it out either for whatever reason. It is included regardless of the time of day. Philippian jailer, when was it? The middle of the night. The earthquake happens. Everybody's still there. The jailer's shocked. What happens? He says he washes Paul and gets their wounds taken care of and he was baptized right then in the middle of the night. Paul with his conversion. He hadn't eaten for three days. But when Ananias explained to him the way of the Lord before he even went to eat. You know what he did? He got baptized. We are to be teaching and baptizing. And the teaching is equally important. There are a lot of churches who, man, once they get them baptized, put that statistic down and everything's done. That's just the beginning. Just the beginning. And this is where the image of the clone came to mind for me. We're to be looking like Jesus. As disciples, as we are obediently following His teachings, we are to be looking more and more every day like Jesus. Which brings me to my final point. The pattern is to walk in the same way in which He walked. You'll find that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. I think it's the person hit it right on the head when they said, it's the direction in which our life is traveling which determines whether or not our Christian profession is genuine. I'm not talking about an individual from this community. So when I say, you know who I'm talking about, You make the application to somebody you know. And I'm not going to know because I'm not talking about somebody from this community. But every one of us knows somebody who at some point in their life made the decision to be a Christian. But then, shortly after, went all kinds of different directions. Don't worry about ever worshiping. Never hit... Never enter the doors of a church anywhere. And yet they want to claim they're Christians. A church over in Illinois decided to send out letters to members who hadn't been present for three years. They didn't send them to people who were sick and unable to get out. They sent them to healthy people who had not been there for three years asking them, not telling them, asking them if they should remove their name from the membership rolls because they hadn't seen them. You know what happened? A whole lot of those people got fired up and mad. Why are you going to remove us from the membership rolls? Well, how about because you're not living like you're a member of the kingdom of God? Maybe you've moved your membership somewhere else and we just didn't know it. But you haven't been around for three years. What's that say? You see, the more we obey God's Word, the more we open the door for His love to accomplish its purpose in our lives. The test of living in the light of is growing in love for God. And the ultimate proof of that is not in heightened emotion during some worship service, though that may well be an expression of the reality, but it's evidenced in the daily, detailed, disciplined obedience by which our characters are being transformed into the image of the God we love. And so in the first verses of chapter 2 of 1 John, John highlights three characteristics of a true follower. A person who knows Christ is someone who trusts what Christ did, who does what Christ commands us, and who knows who Christ is. And the third mark of spirituality, being obedient to Christ, includes that we make Him the Lord of our lives both in deed and in our thinking. Jesus himself told his disciples, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. John 14, verse 15. And with many other statements, uh, many of his other statements, uh, it's really not a popular view today, is it? Even among some who want to be called Christians. The very fact that we talk about obedience to God's word, often gets us identified as being just legalists. Which is actually symptomatic of a false understanding of the dichotomy of love and law. A disobedient person professing to be a Christian, John says, is a liar. Because such claims are contradicted by their behavior. How can the truth of God be in such a person? You see, being obedient is not legalism, it's love. Don't we often hear people say, well, your actions speak louder than your words? I mean, didn't last week, and I can do it again this week, because I have shoes with tongues on again. I share it with you. No matter what I say with my mouth, the two tongues in my shoes outvote my mouth, don't they? If I say, well, I'm doing this and that and that, but then I never go anywhere doing those things, I just make myself out to be a liar. So when John comes to verse 6, he provides a renewed emphasis on our practical walk in everyday life. How did Jesus walk? Certainly in the light with God due to His perfect obedience to the Heavenly Father's will. He also walked in love toward the crowds of needy the lost people whom he encountered daily. You see, walking in the light is not only characterized by the absence of sin, but equally important, the presence of love. Those who remain, those who abide in Christ, cannot fail to display the fruit of the Spirit to be Christ-like in character. Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And I'll stand by this, even though Paul might pull me aside when I get to heaven. But I think when we put our punctuation in, there should be a colon there, not a comma. The fruit of the Spirit is love. How do we recognize love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, long suffering. Those are all ways of understanding the fruit because in the Paul's words, fruit is singular. He's not saying the fruits of the Spirit. He's saying the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. So, here's my challenge for us today. As a church, our challenge is to be a disciple-making community. To create an atmosphere where wanting to be like Jesus is the norm. I I passed those cards out. I bought those cards and, and passed them out and gave them to you because I want you to think about that every single day sometime during the day. Pull that out and read that prayer. And strive to do what that prayer is saying. As individuals, strive to be disciple makers. Take opportunities. On Friday, Jesse wanted, after I got my foot checked, Jesse wanted to know if it was okay if she went to Goodwill. I said, oh, sure. No, that one on Friday, that was Thursday. Morning. My one day was sleep. So I took her over to Goodwill. Parked the car, sat there for a second, looked over at that McDonald's arch, and I said, I think I need an old man's black coffee. If you're old enough to get that coffee for less money, it's called a senior citizens coffee. And you need to get refills, even though it's cheaper. So I walked over to the McDonald's, or drove over to the McDonald's, and got a cup of coffee. And I was still standing there waiting for my coffee when the lady behind me ordered a meal. Her clothes weren't designer clothes, but she was clean. She looked old enough to be on a fixed income. I don't know what her socioeconomic status was, but when she ordered her meal, I told the girl behind, how much was that? And she repeated it, and I gave her the money and paid for her meal. And the lady looked at me and she said, You don't have to do that. I said, I know I don't have to do that. I'm doing that because someone gave me a gift far greater than what your meal just cost me. And she looked at me and she looked at the shirt that I had on and she smiled. And she said, oh, a Christian? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And I said, I just wanted to bless you a little bit today. And I hope I didn't offend. And she said, no, no, fine. I went outside and I got in the car and I went to start it and it wouldn't start. (laughs) It told me that I didn't have the key. I looked down and sure enough, my fob was not laying down there where it normally lays. So I walked back across the parking lot to the Goodwill. And I got my wife's fob and I walked back across to the, good, to the McDonald's and got the car and came back and got my wife. I didn't make her walk uh, with me. But here's the challenge in that prayer that you have in front of us. To be actively engaged, intentionally, finding a way to bring people that God brings into our paths into an awareness of the love that God has for us so that we can be baptizing and teaching people guided by and obedient to the great commission given by Jesus as well as by the Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You today hopefully convicted again by Your Word. Help us to realize the importance of reaching out to our families first of all, to our neighbors, and then to all of the world as we are going about doing our daily activities. Those whom we can name by name Not just a generic, Lord, read people to me, but help us to think by name of people who need that new committed relationship to You. And help us to be disciple makers. We pray this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.